Welcome to Cohen & Company's Chief Insights Tax Reform Edition podcast. This special series is designed to help business owners and C-suite leaders better understand the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act and its potential impact. Hello, I'm Elaine Baffa, a tax partner at Cohen & Company. Welcome to this episode of Chief Insights Tax Reform Edition. Today we're going to talk about individual taxes and how they're being impacted by the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Specifically, what items you should be mindful of and plan for when estimating your personal taxes in light of the new tax law. I'm joined by Angel Rice, a manager in our tax department and someone who works with both businesses and business owners, asking a lot of questions in this area. Hi, Elaine. Thanks for having me here this morning. I was just on the phone talking about these very issues with a client as we were working through their second quarter estimates. So this is definitely a topic not only on their minds, but on the minds of many other individual taxpayers. What's interesting is that I'm finding that many of my clients will save a significant amount in taxes while others are going to owe a little bit more. Can you start by talking about some of the major changes, both good and bad, from the new tax law? Absolutely. There were clearly some taxpayers gaining more benefits from the law than others, and for many reasons. We saw many personal tax deductions go away, such as investment management fees and the interest on home equity loans. Yet the standard deduction almost doubled. We saw tax rates drop, with the top rate falling from 39.6% to 37%, and the 28% tax bracket is now a 24% tax bracket. There are also big changes in the alternative minimum tax, with a higher exemption and income phase-out. Therefore, fewer taxpayers are going to be subject to it. We can't look at any one change on its own. It's about more than lower tax rates or loss deductions. It's about the combination of these factors and how they collectively affect an individual's tax liability. Well, let's focus on the major areas that remain and that individuals can plan for. Right. I would like to focus on three of them, state and local taxes, mortgage interest, and charitable contribution. First, state and local taxes. Some of the provisions of the proposals would have made this a loss deduction. So no more deductions for real estate taxes or state and local income taxes. However, a late compromise in Congress kept the deduction alive, but capped it at $10,000 per year. So, Elaine, let me stop you right there if we could walk through a quick example. So, if I have a client that has $8,000 in real estate taxes, and then they also pay $12,000 in state and local income taxes for a total of $20,000, saying under the old law, they were getting the full deduction for $20,000, but now for the 2018 tax year and going forward, they're going to be capped at only $10,000 of a deduction. That is correct, and many of our clients will be affected by this. Some states have introduced legislation in an attempt to circumvent these rules, and they're actually being very creative. The IRS has commented that they don't like what these states are doing, however. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens this summer and fall to see how this ultimately plays out. Another hot topic under tax reform was the ability to deduct mortgage interest. Mortgage interest does continue to be deductible on not only your primary residence, but one other residence. And you can continue to deduct the interest on mortgage balances. If your mortgage existed prior to the new law, you could deduct mortgage interest on a principal balance of up to $1 million. However, mortgages entered into after the passage of the new law 
are limited to $750,000 principal balance. Besides the deductibility of mortgage interest, another significant deduction is the one for charitable contributions. Are there any changes in this area that we should be mindful of? Actually, Angel, this is an area where we saw a favorable change in the law. As Congress increased the adjusted gross income limitation from 50% to 60%. A simple example of this would be a taxpayer's adjusted gross income of $200,000 would allow them to deduct up to $100,000 of charitable contributions, or 50%. They can now actually deduct 60% of charitable contributions. This is also the area that gives us the most planning opportunities. When you say this provides planning options, can you expand a bit on that? Absolutely. An example would be, let's say we have a married couple filing jointly that typically has about $3,000 of mortgage interest. They're limited on their state and, state and local tax deduction of $10,000 and typically give $7,000 annually to charity. In total, that would be $20,000 of itemized deductions. However, the standard deduction now for married filing joint couples is $24,000. So even if they gave zero to charity, they would be entitled to a $24,000 deduction. These taxpayers, however, love to give money to charity, and they want to get the tax benefit too. So what can we do in those situations? An idea would be to use a donor-advised fund to stuff three years' worth, or it could even be more, into a donor-advised fund um, to cover your charitable deductions for those years. In the first year when you put the money into the fund, you would itemize your deductions. So if we say we did three years' worth of charitables at $7,000 per year, that would be a $21,000 deduction. Plus, remember, this taxpayer also has $3,000 of mortgage interest and $10,000 of state and local taxes. That would then give them $34,000 of of total deductions that year, which exceeds the standard deduction. Over the next two years, they would take the standard deduction. And over that three-year period, would receive far more in deductions than they would have without the planning. I've heard a bit about using a donor-advised fund to plan for charitable contributions. Can you go into the basics of how the donor-advised fund works? In the year that you put the money into a donor-advised fund is the year that the taxpayer gets the tax deduction. So if we fund it in year one and pay out our charitables for that year through year one, and then in years two and three, we continue to pay our charitables out of that fund. You get the tax deduction in year one. You take your itemized deductions in year one. In year two and three, you take the standard deduction. Um, it, it's fabulous planning. Donor advised funds are very easy to set up. They are very low cost, and they can be funded in either cash or appreciated securities. So, Elaine, besides some of the deductions that we've discussed, are there other areas of the new law that my clients should be thinking about? Well, Angel, a lot has been written about new code section 199A. This is a new tax deduction available to owners of pass-through companies, namely S-corporations and LLCs that are taxed as partnerships. In a nutshell, it's a deduction of up to 20% of certain pass-through income, I'm not going to go into too much detail, though, because there are many, many confusing rules and limitations uh, related to this deduction, 
And honestly, we're waiting for further guidance to come out from either Congress or the IRS about many of these limitations. So stay tuned for further information on that topic. Another area that tax reform touched were some changes with respect to the child tax credit. Will this be something that my clients will benefit from going forward? Absolutely. Again, think of this credit in conjunction with all of the other changes we've talked about. First of all, the credit has increased from $1,000 to $2,000 per dependent under the age of 17. Plus, it adds an additional $500 credit for all other dependents. Secondly, more taxpayers are actually going to be eligible for the credit now because they increased the um, phase-out of adjusted gross income limitations. Now, a married filing joint couple won't be phased out of this credit until their adjusted gross income exceeds $440,000. It's a major benefit, and when we put all the numbers down on paper, it all adds up. I certainly think this conversation will help a lot of people put their individual tax scenarios into some perspective before they go and meet with their tax advisors. Elaine, are there some key takeaways that you hope our listeners gain from today? Yes. First, individual taxes just can't be determined in a vacuum. You can't assume your tax liability is going down just because of the lower tax rates. And you can't assume that your tax liability is going up because you lost a few deductions. Everybody needs to look at all the changes comprehensively to determine how they all work together for your situation. Secondly, even with some of the deductions lost that were important to people, all hope is definitely not lost. While some deductions have gone away, the significantly higher standard deduction and other provisions may put you in a better position than you think. This has all been great advice. Thanks, Elaine. Thanks, Angel. Thanks for being here. This wraps up our podcast for today. Thank you to everyone who joined us and have a great day. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Chief Insights Tax Reform Edition. Subscribe to this podcast series at cohencpa.com slash podcasts. To gain more entrepreneurial insights that may impact you, visit us at cohencpa.com slash impact. Cohen & Company is not rendering legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Information contained in this podcast is considered accurate as of the date of recording. Any action taken based on information in this podcast should be taken only after a detailed review of the specific facts, circumstances, and current law.